uh, in July. Uh, if you have a Bible or your touchpad or your phone, however you find Scripture, if you'd like to, Acts chapter 17, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 21 in uh, just a moment or two. We're uh, coming back this morning after our, our Holy Week uh, series of sermons, we're coming back to our winter-spring series, which is how do disciples of Jesus uh, engage culturally uh, for the cause of the gospel? Are, are we aware of our surroundings uh, as we intentionally seek to share Jesus with others? Uh, so a few years uh, ago, I was on one of our, our many hockey trips we went on. Uh, and by the way, I know this is like my third Sunday with a hockey illustration. I promise next Sunday I won't have a hockey illustration in the sermon. But uh, we were at one of the visiting rinks where we had gone out of town. And as a coach, I'm sitting there, uh, and the kids are kind of strolling in one by one. And we're in the lobby. It's you know about an hour before our game, and we're hanging out. And uh, some of the boys on the team, and I'm guessing they were probably seven, eight, nine, somewhere around there, they're jumping from bench to bench. And, you know, and I'm sitting back watching this, really enjoying it. And a couple of the moms come in. And they, you know, we're standing there talking. They kind of look around, and, and uh, they look at the boys jumping, and they turn to me, and they said, you know, one of those kids is going to get hurt, and somebody ought to say something. And then they look at me. And I'm like, okay. So I walk, I said, boys, come over here. I said, now listen, huddle up. We get in huddle. I said, the moms are really concerned that you're jumping from bench to bench, and you're going to hurt yourself, okay? So a smarter way to do this would be to get a running start and jump so there's no chance that you could fall and hurt yourself, okay? And I turned, I said, I said something, and I walked off. Now, <laughs> that's just my really bad attitude. If you look at the world around you today, you'd probably say, you know what, it's, it's kind of a mess. <laughs> Somebody ought to say something. Look at, look at the, the struggles and the challenges that face this world. Uh, is anybody really engaged in offering any solutions? Well, as Jesus was finishing up his earthly ministry, uh, he called his small group of disciples together and he said, I'm, I'm returning to the Father uh, and I have paved the way. Uh, my life uh, lived for you uh, in perfect obedience to God and then my death on the cross uh, as a payment for your sins and my resurrection from the dead, uh, giving us new life. I have now uh, completed my mission on earth. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And it's now time for you to say something about that. It's time for you to speak up to a lost and dying world about the hope that is in me. So way back in January, you may remember, we looked at this particular verse in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says to his disciples, you'll receive power from the Holy Spirit. It will come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. And then he gives a global statement. Starts locally and gets big in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So if it was in our town, we'd say, you know, in St. Louis and in St. Louis County and in Missouri and everywhere. Jesus is saying, your role is to be my witness. So if you're here this morning, you're a disciple of Jesus and you have put your faith in him for salvation, this is spoken to you. It's spoken to me. It's spoken to anyone who is a follower of Christ. We're called to share with those Jesus came to seek and to save. The instructions and the expectations are very clear and straight to the point. The message is specific. Salvation through grace alone, by faith alone, in Jesus alone for all who will believe. This is not an exclusive offer. This is not something we say, well, we've got to check your credentials before we can tell you whether or not the grace of God through Christ is for you. Jesus says, go and share that with everyone. Go and speak about that with everyone. The question that I want to ask this morning is, how are we doing? Are we speaking up? Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 21. 
Paul finds himself in the city of Athens. He's waiting around for a couple of buddies of his named Timothy and Silas. They've been delayed. He's waiting for them to show up, and that's where we pick up the passage. Starting in verse 16, hear the word of God. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there would spend their time doing nothing except telling or hearing something new. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you described your work here on this earth as one who came to seek and to save the lost. You demonstrated your ministry in compassion and in grace, not only in in healing people who uh, may be restoring uh, sight for someone who is blind or or giving strength of legs to someone who couldn't walk, but you also were spiritually compassionate. You told people that that sought you out, you must be born again. I haven't come. God hasn't sent me into the world to condemn the world, but that the world may be saved. You said all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You gave that new life to your disciples, your first disciples, and you have given it to us by your grace and your mercy. Lord, we're saved not because we're good, because we're not. We're saved because you are gracious and merciful. And then you call your disciples to join you in the activity of sharing this news with others. So, Lord, as we look at these verses this morning in in Paul's life, uh, we pray we would would gain insight and understanding, not just more head knowledge for the sake of knowledge so we can talk about these things, but rather, Lord, that we would speak up, that we would be active in being a witness for you. And Father, for those who are here this morning that are wondering what it means to, to be a disciple of Jesus, I pray that they would hear your grace and your mercy in these words, your compassion, your desire that, that those who are lost would be found. Father, forgive me for my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to learn and to understand this morning from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm a, I'm a firm believer, and if you expect me to do something, I, I need you to help me make sure I understand uh, what it is that I'm supposed to be doing and, and any best practices you may be able to give me on, uh, on how to go about doing it. So the reason I'm coming to chapter 17 this morning is because I believe that, that verse 8 in chapter 1 is very clear and very direct and to the point, but there's more to it than that. What does it mean for you and for me, for disciples of Jesus, to be a witness for him. What does it mean for us to speak up? If somebody should say something, and that something is you or me, then uh, can we get a context? Can we get an understanding of how that should play out in our lives? And I think in this particular passage, uh, almost implicitly instead of explicitly, we see some very important truths about what it means to be a witness for Christ. So I'm going to give you, as we go through this morning, six insights to consider regarding my witness for Christ Jesus. The first one is this. There are no wasted moments. 
In verse 16, we read that Paul is waiting for Timothy and Silas to show up at Athens. They were lagging behind, doing some, finishing up some work over here. Uh, and so he's, he's kind of hanging out waiting for them. And his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Paul was waiting, but he was not idle. He wasn't still. He hadn't turned his mind off. He had said, you know, I'm going to go down to Starbucks, and I'm going to sit down and get a cup of coffee, and I'm going to read the paper. Uh, and, you know, they're going to be gone. You know, they'll probably be a week before they get here, a few days. I'm going to use that time to just kind of have a little, you know, I'm going to shut it down, just kind of have a little personal retreat time. No, Paul is walking around the city. And he is, while he's waiting, he is observing the things that are going on around him. He's observing the culture. So he's waiting, but he's not idle. But I also want to suggest that the delay here is part of God's strategic plan. Paul is a servant of Jesus Christ. He's been saved by God, and God is using him to be a witness for the Gentiles. I don't think it's any mistake that, that Paul is on his own for a few days, because God knows Paul's heart. He, he knows his boy Paul is going to not just sit around. But he, he's going to begin to say, where can I engage for the cause of Christ? Now, the reason I think this is an important insight for you and for me this morning, by the way, I'm going to kind of give application as we go through at every point. A lot of times I'll kind of save application to the very end, uh, but I'm going to share it with you as we go. I'm not going to put the application on the screen, uh, but I'm going to hit it each time we, uh, we have one of these observations. I, I think a lot of times I have a plan for how I want to be a witness. You know, I, I, I want to make sure that I talk to so-and-so, and I, and I want to be very thoughtful, and I want to you know, make sure that I, that I position myself in the right place. And I think it's good to have a plan. I think it's good to have a strategy. I think it's good to have a motivation in my heart to share the gospel. But I should also remember that the plan is ultimately God's. He's going to bring people across my path at very unexpected moments, in very unexpected situations. And at that point, I can't say, well, you know, this doesn't really fit into the strategy. <laughs> I can't talk to you right now because in my paradigm, uh, this doesn't work. If, in other words, I think we need to be focused, but we also need to be flexible. We need to allow the Spirit to move as the Spirit moves. I had a conversation last night I had no intention of having. This was not an illustration in this, in this sermon until last night when I'm shoe shopping with my wife. Now, when I say I'm shoe shopping, that's just flat out not true. She's shopping, and I'm looking for somebody to talk to. And it just so happens that, that the person who, who waits on us in the shoe department is a guy named Taylor, and Taylor has tattoos on his, on his forearms. And he seems to be a really nice guy. And he seems to know a lot about shoes, and I'm thankful for that because I don't know anything about shoes. And I am there because I love my wife, not because I want to be involved in this. And I asked him about getting tattoos on his wrists. And I said, did, did that hurt? And he goes, no, it actually didn't hurt until they kind of hit right here on the bone, and that's where it really hurts. And I said, yeah, I know what you mean. And he said, really? I said, yeah, I got a tattoo on my, on my calf. And I looked down, and he said, I got, a little, I got a little cross there. And he goes, oh, that's really interesting. And he said, I've, I've, I've thought about it getting across. He says, I've got my, my grandpa's name on, on, my, on my back of my neck when he passed away, and I thought about it at that time. And I said, well, I think I want to get one more. I'm not really sure. I'd kind of like to get the Alpha and Omega on this leg, you know, the, the beginning and the end, because that's how God kind of... And all of a sudden, we're talking about things of faith. I don't plan on going back to the shoe store anytime soon. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever see Taylor again in my life or not. I didn't set that up. Focused but Flexible. God may take you someplace you, you have today that you weren't even planning on going. Might bring somebody across your path you never imagined. Are we willing to, to say there are no wasted moments in our witness for Christ? The second observation I have in this text is that we need to be a student of our surroundings. Now, Paul was waiting for them in Athens. His spirit was provoked. Why? As he saw that the city 
was full of idols. Now, I've kind of put it in my own terms. Paul's walking around with his eyes open. He's just observing the culture of that particular city, which every in ancient Rome, every city kind of had a little nuance of their own, much like our own nation. You know, if you go to Chicago, you have one experience. You go to Miami, you have a completely different experience. And you got to kind of understand where you are. And Paul's looking around, and he critiques what he sees. But his critique here is one that disturbs him. His spirit was provoked with him. Notice that that isn't a capital S. It doesn't say that the Holy Spirit provoked him, although that's certainly part of the conversation. But it says that, that Paul, as a disciple of Jesus, was bothered. He was upset as he saw these idols. But notice that, that he doesn't become judgmental. He doesn't say, what's wrong with you people? Why don't you understand? He's actually heartbroken. He's actually agitated and upset in his soul because clearly these folks haven't yet heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he he longs to be one who shares with them, but he's a student of his surrounding. He takes in everything around him in order that he may use that information not not to point the finger at people, not to tell people how bad they are, but rather to share Christ with them. Application here is simply, I would say, we need to be careful not to isolate ourselves. If I look around and every person I talk to this week is a Christian, I'm probably isolated. If I don't have any friends, any acquaintances, any any business relationships with people that don't know Christ, I probably need to rethink that part of my life. But I need to be willing to be engaged at whatever level God calls me with whomever God calls me. Uh, I'm going to speak critically for a minute about a person in whom I hold in great respect, and I want to say that right up front, because I think that Dr. James Dobson has done more for reminding our country about the morality of, of the kingdom of God uh, than any other person in my generation. But a few years ago, Dr. Dobson kind of threw up his hands and said, you know, I believe in, the, in, in California the battle's lost. You know, the, the, there's just no accepting uh, of, of the Christian faith in that culture, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm really bringing his words down to a very small point. And my, and, and my objective is not to be critical of Dr. Dobson, but to say we have to be careful about our expectations. We must understand that, that we may be called to go to places where nobody, anybody, is a believer in Christ. It doesn't mean that situation is hopeless. It doesn't mean that, that any battle is lost. We need to understand that we need God's grace And we need to be willing to take and apply that grace, whatever our surroundings may be. My third observation in this text is don't wait for conversations to come to you. In verse 17, it says, So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. In other words, Paul understood that folks like to talk. He looked around and he says, you know, this isn't a difficult conversation to have. This is a, a town that's full of idols. So talking about religious things isn't going to be a huge leap. And he also had dialogues. He had conversations inside and outside his spiritual family. When he sees what's, what Athens is all about, he still goes to the synagogues. Now, there aren't any idols in the synagogues. Those folks were, were, were worshiping God. He goes and finds some devout people, some people that, that, that have a passion to know God, and he has conversation with them. And part of the conversation with them may have been, hey, what are you guys doing in interacting with folks who, who haven't come to know God yet? But he starts with, it with a spiritual family, but then he goes into the marketplace where folks gather very naturally with anybody who happened to be there. <laughs> no particular plan. It's just saying, you know what? I'm going to kind of be in the right place at the right time and look for opportunity to talk with someone. 
Again, if I say, you know what, Lord, I am very willing to, to share Jesus with anybody who walks up and asks me to share Jesus. <laughs> how many people this week, and I really do want to show hands, and there may be one, two, four, five. How many people this week had somebody out of the blue walk up to them and say, tell me about Jesus? Raise your hand if that happened to you this week. Okay, all right? If we wait, probably won't happen. That, that level, that bar, okay, Lord, if you bring somebody, plop them down right next to me and have them ask me a question, I'm your guy, I'm your gal, but if not, you know, probably not for me. What's the application of not waiting for the, for the conversation to come to you? I think it means that we are intentionally building relational bridges. We are, a, hopefully, Christians are a friendly group of people. That we learn to ask questions, to find common ground, to, to spark interest in friendship in order that when the opportunities come, we would be able to speak to folks about Jesus. Um, I have a redheaded woodpecker that lands on my chimney every morning about six o'clock in the morning. And we have one of those metal covers over the top of our, of our chimney uh, so birds don't get inside the chimney. I actually want to take that off so the bird gets in the chimney and dies a slow, painful death. If you're a redheaded woodpecker fan, I'm sorry. I'm, they're not an endangered species. <laughs> and this thing decides it, 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 you know, what woodpeckers do, right? But it, it's metal, so it's... Now, make that about 20 times louder. I mean, if I could take... I won't do this. If I could take them... And you, bolt, you sit both up in bed. <laughs> and it's like, well, time to get up. <laughs> we don't have a rooster. We have a woodpecker. <laughs> so I'm out in the backyard... You know, so now I'm not getting sleep, but now I'm out in the backyard with tennis balls, throwing them at the woodpecker. So now I need Tommy John surgery because I've thrown my I've thrown my my arm out trying to get this bird off of my chimney. Why am I saying all this? Because my new neighbor that lives two houses over, he's like a construction guy, and I bet he knows something about about how to fix this. He might be the greatest Christian in the history of the world. I don't know. We haven't gotten to know each other that well yet, but I have a common ground now. I mean, who wouldn't want to have that conversation? How do you get a woodpecker off your chimney? That seems like something the two guys would want to talk about anytime, anywhere. Are we looking for common ground? Are we looking just to be friends with folks? Not that we have to rush right in and give every answer, but simply so that we are people in conversation with those around us and allow the Spirit of God and the Lord of God to work in our lives to put us in a place where we can talk to others not waiting for the conversation to come to us. Fourth observation is here. So we need to be a student of human thought. In verse 18, we learn a little bit about the crowd in Athens. We learn about the folks that are there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. They said to him, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the, and the resurrection. The Epicureans were of the, the philosophy that, you know, basically you have one life, Body and soul, there's no life after for a soul, even if your body decays, but it's just one time, and therefore you should seek pleasure, you should seek happiness in your family, in your calling, in your occupation in life, uh, in the accumulation of whatever goods you can have, and you should avoid pain at all costs. Try to stay away from, from pain and suffering and struggle. That was the kind of the Epicurean philosophy of life. The Stoics, on the other hand, said really the, the fates, the, the, the gods, whoever they are, so to speak, they're really in control and it's out of your hands. You really, Nancy, you wouldn't have been a Stoic. You, you, would, you would not have, have liked the Stoics. The Stoics said there's really not a whole lot you can do about this. So true happiness is really found in simply becoming content. 
wherever you happen to be in life, good or bad. Now, does that sound familiar? Yeah, I mean, all of the marketing in our country basically is based on, you know, you only live one time, grab everything you possibly can. And you've probably been in conversations with folks who have said, you know, you just got to kind of learn to, to be content, whatever may come your way, because you really can't control anything. This is, this is not something that's foreign to a conversation that you and I could have had this week at lunch. Are we studying our culture? Are we understanding what's going on around us? The, the Stoic and the Epicureans, those conversations still are happening to this very day. That's why the, the great British pe- uh, preacher uh, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said, I read my Bible in one hand and I read the newspaper in the other. And his point was, I want to know what's going on in my world because the Bible applies to everything that's going on in my world. And there, there is a, there is a opportunity at every point to, to show the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, friends, I am, I am disturbed and I don't use that word very often. I am disturbed by what I am seeing in our culture of Christianity in a lack of thinking, in a lack of engaging intellectually with the difficult questions of our day. I am bothered by the, by the complete, if, if it was a question of being in shape, the, the, the Christian church in America is, I would say, almost completely out of shape when it comes to engaging people in the issues of our day that are really the issues of our day. If you're uh, a regular attender at Green Tree, remember Green Tree, you're going to be getting an email from me this week. And it's a pastoral letter. It, I started writing it as one of my devotions in logic, and by the time I got to the sixth page, the editor said, stop. <laughs> this, this ain't going to work. And so we've actually turned it into a, a pastoral letter. I think it's a little bit shorter than six pages. But it raises the question of human sexuality in our culture. And it raises the question of how do disciples of Jesus think biblically about this issue. And I got to tell you, I'm not, I'm not seeing a whole lot of it. And I, and I, please don't hear me being like judgmental or arrogant, but it, it's, it's a problem. If you and I don't know how to think about these things in the context of scripture, how on earth are we going to share with others in a way that reflects the grace of God and the truth of his word? We need to be a student of human thought. My fifth observation is we need to be prepared for both emotion and confusion. I want to stay in verse 18 for just a minute. Some of them said, what does this babbler wish to say? You sense, you sense a, a little bit of confusion. Here. What is this guy talking about? Others said, oh, no, he, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. So you see some emotion here, like what, what, a little angst. What is going on here? Uh, uh, kind of tied in with some confusion. The word there, babbler, actually means a seed picker. Now, that term is the original term for plagiarism, the, the, the British word. And what it means is, is this, what is this guy talking about? Is he just kind of taking a little bit from here and a little bit from there and, and kind of trying to make something old sound new? There was some confusion about the message. There was also some confusion where, Paul, where Luke writes, because he was preaching about Jesus and the resurrection, the Greek word for resurrection is, is almost completely synonymous to the goddess Anastasia. And so these guys are listening to Paul talk, and, and, and when they say, no, he's talking about foreign deities, plural, right? He's talking about Jesus and his wife. If Jesus is a god, then it must be Anastasia is his wife because that's kind of the word he's using here when Paul is actually talking about a literal resurrection. So 
only point being, friends, is that there's a lot of times when you begin to talk about spiritual things and people scratch their heads. I'm not quite sure. I get that. That's okay. That's just fine. We need to be prepared for that. We need to expect that that is going to be part of the equation. So the two words I have here under application are patient and persistent. If somebody doesn't get it the first time, that's okay. They might get it the second time. If they don't get it the second time, they might get it the twelfth time. I don't know how many people shared Jesus with my dad all of his life. He didn't become a Christian until he was 66 years old. And I know he started hearing it by the time he was 30. So that's at least 36 years before it, it, it got there. It's not up to me. It's not up to you to say, okay, this is when this person is going to put their faith in Christ. That's not my call. That's where I put my trust in God. So I need to be patient, but also need to not throw up my arms and walk away. I need to be persistent. I'm always there. I'm always available to give an answer. And so Paul is engaging with the folks around him for the cause of Christ. And my last observation in this text is simply that people are looking for answers. Look at the last three verses in this text. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. A lot of times when people are taking Paul, they're taking him someplace to beat him up. <laughs> this had to be a refreshing change for Paul. They're, you know, they're, they're not, they're not going to smack him around and throw him in jail. They actually took him to the place of debate. They, they, hey, come over here because this is where we hang out and talk about this all day. They kinda, if he was a Kirkwood, they took him to Mike Duffy's, okay? May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. And then we get a little editorial comment. Now, all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there would spend their time nothing except telling and hearing something new. Not being a believer in Jesus doesn't mean you're not a spiritually in tuned person. It doesn't mean that you don't you don't want to know about uh, God if He's there, uh, and you would like to know what it would mean to be a, in a relationship with Him if that were true. If there are some folks here this morning, that, that may fit you. You might be here going, I'm not sure about God. I've heard this Jesus thing, and I'm, I'm coming to check it out. I'm coming to find out. We're glad you're here, if that's the case. And we, we, uh, we, we think you've come to a good place, not so much because of the preacher, but because of the folks that are sitting around you. But people are looking for answers. People want to know. People are made in the image of God. That means there's something in your soul and in my soul and in your intellect and in my intellect that reflects the fact that God created us. He's given us part of his fingerprint, part of his DNA, so to speak. So questions about life and death, relationships, community are all very natural. A desire to learn part of God is God-given in our DNA. So knowing that ought to give us an opportunity for a little bit of encouragement and a little bit of confidence. Not just in ourselves, but in the fact that the Holy Spirit of God is going to be working in these questions because that's how God set it up in the first place. Going all the way back to the 4th century, Augustine said, every person has a God-shaped hole in their heart. You've heard me say that lots of times before. That's this point. It's there and you can't fill it with anything else. Maybe if you're here this morning and you're, and you're wondering and you're kind of seeking things out, and maybe because you've tried a lot of other stuff. You know, maybe you've made a whole bunch of money and you're like, I'm still kind of eh, not quite there. You know, um, you know maybe it's, it's been you know, sexuality. Maybe it's been just acquiring a lot of things. Maybe it's been you know, seeking out the best reputation you could have. But every place you turn, it's kind of like, eh, there, I'm still not quite there and I can't quite figure out what that is. That's a gift from God. <laughs> God has given us that emptiness because only he can fill it, but also because that's exactly what he intends to do. He intends to be 
are all in all, as we sing from time to time on Sunday morning. So disciples of Jesus, I've written down in my notes, need to be winsomely provocative. <laughs> Winsome meaning you're kind, you're compassionate. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a nice guy. I don't go out of my way to be arrogant and rude and mean to people. And let me tell you, friends, I have to stop myself every day and use, Tom, you're supposed to be winsome. Doesn't matter how long you're in the drive-thru, you're supposed to be winsome, right? <laughs> and, and all of us live in that tension, right? But we, that's where we need to pray that God's spirit would reside in us, but also provocative. Asking God, how did you come to that conclusion? How, how did you decide that that was the right answer? And, and let's talk about that. Let's ask some questions, being polite, kind, respectful, but also challenging. Also learning to, to kind of scratch where, where people are itching, so to speak. What's the question that your business partner has about Christianity? What about the kid that sits next to you in biology class? What about your next-door neighbor? Do you know kind of what may be causing them to say, I don't know if I trust in Jesus or not? There's an interest in every person's heart. People are looking for answers. So somebody should say something. Probably you or me. Let's pray. Father, uh, being a witness for Jesus is, is clear in Scripture, but it is a challenge. It is something that uh, I know as, as I started the sermon this morning and folks began to hear the topic, I, I know that there are plenty of folks that just kind of <laughs> seized up right away, oh, this is uncomfortable. And Lord, it is hard because it's about people's souls. And Lord, we, we have messed it up lots of times. We haven't gotten it right. We, the church, we, we have been arrogant. We have been uh, judging others where we ought not. We have been um, maybe even leading the confusion instead of uh, kind of clearing up the questions. Father, I pray that you would help us to give that fear back to you, and those mistakes back to you. And our hearts and our emotions, and our motivations back to you. If we're disciples in Jesus this morning, Father, I pray that you would allow us to really engage, to understand there are no wasted moments. Uh, Even the most casual conversation could be something that leads to a person's salvation. That we need to be wise, we need to look around us and understand our context. We need to be students of our culture, knowing that sometimes it'll be confusing or or emotional. But Father, keep us steady in in the desire of our hearts to share you with others. This is life and death. This is the most important thing there is to talk about on the planet. It's the eternal worth of a human being. That's what Jesus came to pay for. It's what he gave his life so that we who were captured and enslaved to sin and rebellion and death and hell could be set free to life and relationship with you for all of eternity. Lord Jesus, help us to be the one that says something. We pray in your name. Amen.